Good morning, church family. I'm Josh Stevens. I have the honor of serving on your elder board here. And this morning, I have the honor of bringing God's word to you. As 2023 comes to a close today, and we look ahead to starting 2024 to tomorrow, uh, it's a natural time for us to kind of look back what uh, has gone right, what may have been, could have been better, and look ahead to making plans for what we're going to do in the coming year, the coming decade, and beyond. As we think about that kind of evaluation and forward planning, what does the Bible say about it? How do we go about making plans according to the God-given manual for life? James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 say, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's okay to plan to live and do this or that, as long as those plans are aligned with what the Lord wills. So how do we figure out what the Lord wills? The Bible doesn't specifically say that in 2024, Josh Stevens should volunteer in middle school ministry, although Chuck would probably be happy if that was the case, um, or anything specific like that. So how do we figure it out? Let's look at what the rest of the book of James has to say. So please turn to the book of James in your Bible um, or in your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, didn't bring one, I'd really, really encourage you to go grab one from one of the racks in the back. We have blue Bibles that we provide, and we're going to take a, not a 30,000-foot overview, we're going to take a, an 80,000-foot overview of the book of James um, at Mach 3 today. So if you can follow along, that would be great. And um, I'd really encourage you to read the book of James. It's a, a relatively short book. It's, in my Bible, it's like four or five pages. It can be read in under 15 minutes. So I'd really encourage you to do that. We're going to fly over some of the sections today. And I'll encourage you to, to read those. Um, if you do use one of the blue Bibles, it's on page 1288. That's 1288. If you're not using one of the blue Bibles, it's toward the back. Um, Revelation's the last book in the Bible. If you work back from there, it's just a few books before that. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far. Um, it's right after, right after that in your Bible. Um, the book was written by Jesus' little brother, James, hence the name, um, not only in the sense that we're all, as Christians, brothers and sisters of Christ, but literally Mary and Joseph were James's mom and dad. Um, it's one of the first books in the New Testament to be written down, and the initial audience is Jewish believers that have been scattered around the known world due to persecution. And as a matter of fact, James himself would be martyred not, after, not long after the book was written. The book of James is super practical and super challenging, 
not challenging in the sense that it's difficult to understand, but challenging in that the content challenges me to live better to the glory of God. That's why we're looking at it as we plan for the future, as we look ahead to 2024 and beyond. Um, I quoted from chapter four already, and we'll get back to that as we work our way through the book. But let's start at the beginning now. Again, I'm not going to read every word. Strongly encourage you to read the whole book of James uh, in your quiet time uh, throughout the week this week. But starting in verse two of chapter one. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." As you reflect on this past year or maybe the past few years and the trials of various kinds that you've met, do you wish you'd had a bit more wisdom? Ask God who gives generously and it will be given. But is wisdom alone enough? Jumping ahead in chapter 1 to verse 22, we read, but But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Where do I need to be a doer and not merely a hearer of the word? What's some action that you need to take to joyfully visit orphans and widows in their affliction? When Jesus talked about the final judgment in Matthew 25 and separating the righteous from the unrighteous, the righteous asked, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Similarly, the unrighteous called him Lord and asked when they didn't do those things for Christ. Earlier in the book of Matthew, in chapter 7, Jesus warned that not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Building on Jesus' teaching, James continues into chapter 2 
to go into what faith looks like in real life. So starting in verse 14 of chapter two, we read, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Now, to be clear, just like faith without works is dead, as it says in that uh, section, works without faith is just as dead. We have to have both. They go together. If you truly have faith, like the story of the righteous and the unrighteous, the works will, will follow naturally. But at the same time, we cannot work our way to salvation. It really is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, to God's glory alone, that anyone is saved. So taking this insight about works and tying it back to the wisdom that we heard about in chapter one, let's see how they come together in chapter three. Now chapter three starts out with a section about taming the tongue and we could do a, a, a whole sermon series, I think, on, on that section. Um, and again, I encourage you to read it this week as you get into the book of James. But for our overview today, I'm gonna fly over that and pick up in verse 13 where it brings wisdom and works together. Verse 13 of chapter three. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I recall in chapter one, where he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Here in chapter three, we see that, that what that wisdom looks like in contrast to the unwise, unspiritual that passes for wisdom in this world. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Have I been exercising wisdom from above? Have you? Or are we trying to be friends with the world? He has a strong warning and hopeful encouragement 
in the next chapter. Looking at chapter four, starting in verse four, we read, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I can't emphasize enough how much we want the devil to flee from us. And better than that, for God to be near to us. One of my favorite quotes outside the Bible is from Jim Elliott, a missionary to Ecuador who was martyred, who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there is nothing in this world worth holding tight to if it gets between us and God. So what do we do then? Are all of us supposed to take a vow of poverty become a full-time monk or something? Are we supposed to make plans at all? That brings us back to the verse that I started with in the introduction today from chapter four, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The fact is that while there may be some things that we don't know if we should do or not, as I talked about earlier, you know, what specific plans should I make for uh, volunteering this year or such like that for myself? Uh, there are a lot of things that we know the right thing to do, and some of us struggle to do it. Many years ago, I heard a sermon with a provocative title. It was Things You Don't Need to Pray About. And I thought, shouldn't we bring everything before God in prayer? And uh, the point was, that uh, the Bible is crystal clear on some of the things that we don't need to ask God um, because he already gives us the answer in his word. I'm gonna summarize just four of them today. These are ones that I've struggled with in the past, as you'll see, and uh, one or more of these may be something that you need to deal with in your life, or maybe for you it's something different. So of the four, I'm going to start with tithing and sacrificial giving. When Jesus mentions tithing, it's always to uh, give the Pharisees a hard time about being legalistic, about giving exactly a tenth down to the clippings from their herb garden or to admonish them for showing off about it. He tells us that we should go ahead and tithe, but, that without, but without neglecting justice and the love of God. Tithing should be a guideline, for most of us, a minimum guideline. 
not to get legalistic about, but to obediently and joyfully trust and worship God with our everything. For me, soon after I graduated from college and started my career, my mentor approached me and said, hey, Josh, you're tithing, right? No. I had to sheepishly admit that I was not, and he impressed upon me that it was very important for my spiritual growth to follow God's plan with respect to trusting God with my finances. This was all the more impactful, not just because I trusted this mentor, but also because he attends a different church. He was more concerned about my spiritual health than the financial health of any particular church. If you have some hang-up about giving to Midland Free because you think that I'm just telling you to give because I have some financial interest, I don't. I don't get paid to be here. <laughs> um, then start tithing somewhere else, but start tithing. I'm really more interested in your spiritual health than the financial health of this local church, as important as that is. The Bible does instruct us to give faithfully to our local church. And since that time of that conversation with my mentor, um, it's been fits and had been fits and starts at the beginning, but um, now we're faithfully tithing to our local body, and it's made a huge difference in our relationship with God and in freedom from the love of money. Another thing that the Bible is clear about and we know is the right thing is sexual purity. Whether premarital or extramarital, there is no question that the Bible is clear, and you don't need to wonder if it's in your best interest or, to get, or glorifying to God to have sex with a person you're not married to. Now, sex is not bad. As a matter of fact, it's because it's so good that it makes it dangerous in the wrong context. As you know, the news is full of examples of people ruining lives with inappropriate sexual relationships. But within a committed marriage between one woman and one man, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. God doesn't instruct us to be pure to ruin our fun. He wants us to be pure for our good and for his glory. I think many of you know that uh, I was married when I was 18, which isn't that unusual, but the fact is that I became a parent when I was 17. And I can tell you from firsthand experience how there are difficulties when you don't follow God's plan. And a teenage pregnancy is not the worst of it. So it really is for God's instructions really are for his glory and for our good. My third example of the right thing that we know to do, but some of us don't, is working diligently. Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, Work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men. Have some of us been quiet quitting in 2023 and need to step it up in 2024 and beyond? If I've just been wearing the minimum number of pieces of flair or failing to put a cover sheet on my TPS report, I probably need to step it up. Uh, example from, for me was uh, back in high school, my focus was just to get, do the minimum to get by and to graduate, which came back to bite me when I went to college and had to spend an extra year to get caught up. 
and to develop study habits that I had never had before. It would have been in my best interest and glorifying to God if I had worked heartily in my studies. Are you sensing a pattern here that the point that God's instructions are not to ruin our fun, but to glorify him and for our good? The last one from my very non-exhaustive list is joyfully exercising our spiritual giftedness. In Romans 12, Paul talks about spiritual gifts and starts verse six by telling us that having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Can you imagine a gifted artist or athlete not using their giftedness? If you've seen the Pixar movie Cars, you can think of Lightning McQueen trying to pave a road in Radiator Springs and how he was miserable, contrasted with when he got back out on the racetrack and he was doing what he was designed for. He was in his element and full of joy. That's what you and I do when we sit on the couch playing games or watching TV and don't actively do what we're designed for. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're designed for a purpose. And when we try to fit in somewhere else, we feel out of place, like a square peg in a round hole. But when we do what we're designed for, we feel joy, purpose, and fulfillment. If you're not sure how to figure out how, just ask somebody that's volunteering either in this church or in Life Clinic or the Open Door. We can help you find what you're designed to do and where you'll fit. Now, again, I just happened to pick four that are clear examples of we know are the right thing to do, ones that I've failed to do in the past and needed to repent for and do better. Um, and some of us here in this room I know are struggling with. So maybe one of these is an opportunity for you to step up and see how God's instructions for life are for your good and his glory. Maybe for you, you're already doing well with these four, but there's some other right thing that you know you need to step up and start being a doer who acts. Whether you call it a New Year's resolution or you call it wisely following the Lord's perfect plan, I strongly encourage you to reflect this week. Talk to your spouse, talk to a parent, or someone you trust to commit to action in 2024 and beyond. As much as this call to action is motivating and very practical, the book doesn't end there. It gets even better. Moving into the last chapter, chapter five, starting in verse seven, James exhorts us to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Be blessed. Remain steadfast. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. That's one of those things that sounds simple, but is actually really hard. I'm not a patient person, and I know that a lot of us struggle not to grumble against one another or to suffer well. So how do we do that? The prayer of faith. This is where prayer comes in. And along with praying for wisdom, as mentioned earlier, we should pray, as it says, starting in verse 13 of chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. One of the best parts of being an elder is getting to pray over people, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. It really is powerful and working. We do have to be a bit careful here that, uh, and not to think that this is a promised guarantee of physical healing. Um, it doesn't say that. It says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, not necessarily heal their physical body, although that's certainly a distinct possibility. Prayer is powerful and wondrous. And if you'd like to pray, as usual, there'll be some of us elders and uh, care team members up front after service. We'd be happy to pray with you, happy to talk with you more about prayer in general. Um, and uh, it's our privilege to do that. So finally, the book of James concludes with a call to lovingly evangelize. The last two verses of the book, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. And I think we've established that I was a sinner who wandered from the truth. And I needed someone to bring me back. And I'm so thankful for my mentor and for other people in my life that uh, were used by God to get a hold of me and to be an example for me and to see God working in my life. And if you're here this morning and feeling that tug of, yeah, that's what I need. I need, I need to flee from the devil and uh, draw near to God, that he would draw near to me. Um, we would love to pray with you and talk more with you about that after service. As we saw earlier, there's nothing better than drawing close to God. And we can't do that on our own. We need grace through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, paying our sin debt. Like it says in Romans 10, 14, though, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without, without someone preaching? You are the only preacher that some of your coworkers, neighbors, or fellow students might ever hear. Don't you want to be used by God to sow a harvest of righteousness by wisely making peace and being an example of joyfully knowing the right thing to do and doing it? As we look ahead to 2024, the coming years of our lives and toward eternity, let us each trust God's perfect word with faith. Pray for his wisdom to enable us to know the right thing to do. Experience the peace and joy of obediently being a doer of his perfect plan and being a light of hope to those who have wandered from the truth. Let's pray. Oh, wonderful, glorious God. As we draw near to you, you draw near to us. It's such a wonderful thing to be loved by you, to be redeemed, to look ahead to a future eternity gathered around your throne, singing your praise forever. That eternity starts today. We can enjoy worshiping you through the things that we do, through the relationships that we have, through the way that we represent you in this world by working diligently, being pure, offering our everything up to you. Holy Lord, you are awesome glorious and deserving of praise. I pray that each one of us individually and as a church, Midland Free, would bring glory, honor, and praise to you in 2024 and beyond. In your name, amen. We're going to transition here to communion. So I'm going to call the, the elders and the ushers who will be helping serve to come forward. Here at Midland Free, we serve what, what, what's known as open communion or an open table, which means you do not need to be a member of our church, but you do need to be a member of the church. You need to see that Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only means by which sins can be dealt with, by which any can come into the presence and union with God. So if that's you, feel free to partake. If that's not, there's no embarrassment, there's no shame here. We just ask that you would let the, the elements pass by. And before I, I pray over this, I do want to make this information known to anyone. On the trays will be both the cup and the bread. The bread is gluten-free. It is dairy-free. It is nut-free. It's free of flavor. <laughs> it's, it's free. Take it. Um, but with that also... 
We ask that as you take these elements as they're passed, just hold them because we want to take them together because not only are we reminding of our union here with Christ, but we are reminding ourselves that we together are the one body to the glorious head. So with that, let me pray and then they'll pass the elements. Lord, what a great and glorious thing it is that we get to come and away partake Remembering the finished work of Christ by which all who believe enter into one body, being built up into the head, which is Christ. We commune, we have access, we have union with him, and it changes us, Lord. So prepare our hearts and minds as we come to this meal while it might not nourish our body physically, it's a reminder of where true life is found. So prepare us to receive this with joy, but also with a somber reminder that it is because of our sin Christ had to die. But we come joyfully because he resurrected victorious over it we too will one day experience the fullness of that resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the precious death of Christ until he returns. We get to partake in the joy of the first fruits of that and look forward to the fulfillment of all of the promises given to us by his death and his glorious resurrection. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to realize while there is a great and glorious spiritual reality that is made ours when we put our faith and hope in Christ alone, that that plays out in often ordinary means. We proclaim your death and how we love our family and our neighbor. We proclaim your death and how we show generosity using the gifts, whether financial or otherwise given to us for your glory and honor. We proclaim your death and how we love even the unlovable, we proclaim your death by sharing the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord, help us to do a better job yearning for that return of our great king as we approach this next year, but also do a better job in living as if we truly believe and have placed our hope in Christ and Christ alone. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Please stand and join us in singing the benediction. Oh, come, let